The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. The big game is right around the corner and the teams are set. So check out the Rich Eisen Show on Podcast One Sportsnet as the legendary sportscaster analyzes the plays and predicts what will happen on February 3rd. Download the Rich Eisen Show every weekday on Podcast One Sportsnet or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Sam Monson. We are live on YouTube. Welcome, everybody on YouTube. Welcome, everybody listening in the podcast world on whatever medium you're listening. Podcast world. Hello, everybody. Hi, Sam. How are you? Good. How about you, Steve? You're smiling. That's weird. You happy? I mean, yeah, moderately. Nice. Yeah? That's that's a win. I consider that a win when Sam rolls in on a Monday morning moderately happy. Um, Okay weekend of football? Uh, as much well, as we pretty wanted. crappy weekend of football, honestly. The games were not close bar one, I guess. Um, a bit of a disappointment given that they looked on paper to be some interesting games. Yeah, so I think it, we'll, we'll, we'll get into every game. So we're going to review all four games from the divisional round. Um, do we want to do a little post-mortem cause of death for some of these losing teams? Sure. We did that a they few were weeks fun. ago. All right, so we'll do that as we go. Okay. Okay. But let's stick with the game recaps first to just keep it clean. All mm-hmm. right. So um, overall, though, I think what happens is there's we, I think I mentioned this last week. There's a little bit of overreaction. Come on, Matt. There's a little overreaction to wildcard weekend. Right. All the divisional teams are sitting at home. The wildcard four teams have to win in wildcard weekend. Right. <laughs> they, they have do. to. They They're do. obligated to win. So four teams have to, you know, have momentum and look good and be the hottest team in the NFL and the team you don't want to face and all these different things. But then people are like, oh, man, that divisional round, just proving that the bye and the rest is the most important thing. It's like, no, the best teams are on the bye and they're all playing at home. Of course they have the advantage. They're all the better team. Well, certainly the home is a huge thing. I mean, there's multiple teams, almost all of the teams, in fact, in this uh, round are markedly better at home than they are on the road. Think Dallas, right? Dallas is a completely different team at home than they are when they have to travel. The Chiefs are the same thing. So yeah, the home field thing is huge. You're right, by and large, the better team is the team that's sitting there with the rest. I'd say the Chargers uh, are the only right. team this week, right? The Chargers so- are the one exception to that, and they just completely, they were, I mean, this was pretty embarrassing for the Chargers, so 
that there's something to be said there. There, there is that thing though. That, like <laughs> everybody this week was banging on about. Oh, what look look at the impact the rest week has. Yeah, right. The bye week, the the extra rest. They come out fresh and they destroy all these teams. It's like, well, yeah, but. I mean, by and large, you would have expected all these teams to win if they had met in the regular season. Yeah, right. So it's not... I mean, was it rest or was it just they're better? I think it's just they're better, Sam. It's pretty much what it is. Um, Let's get into the games. Saturday afternoon, Indianapolis Colts at the Kansas City Chiefs. I think weather was a bit of a factor with the downfield passing game. Um, Because even Mahomes, who put up pretty good numbers, wasn't... You know, he was throwing some screwballs. And as Chris pointed out, he was throwing some... uh, some wobbly downfield passes. Lux arm didn't look great throwing the ball down the field, but this was not the outcome you expected. I mean, the Chiefs essentially threw a shutout on defense until the very, very end of the game. They had a block, you know, Indianapolis had the block punt for a touchdown that gave them a little bit of life, but Kansas City controlled this game from start to finish. This was the one game we said it'll probably be a shootout. Andrew Luck can go toe to toe with this Chiefs team, but the Chiefs defense played pretty well. Luck didn't look great, and. No, 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 uh, it was no shootout at all. Yeah, so the home field advantage thing may be more important for Kansas City than any of the other teams um, in this because their defense, the, their defense is what's different when they're at home to on the road. Their yeah, offense right. has put up points wherever they've gone. We've said all season long that any game they're in is going to be a shootout. And then the question is just whether their defense can show up enough that they win the shootout. But actually, when they're playing at home, it turns out their defense capable of not just, you know, slowing down an opposing offense to the point where they win a shootout, but actually making the game pretty comfortable. So now there is a caveat that this Colts team isn't great. You know, they, they were one and five at one point. They had to go on a run to get into the postseason. They also, um, for everybody that said that they were hot and you don't want to play the Colts, they got shut out by the Jaguars in December. Yeah. Like recently, they put up a zero. They were, I mean, they're a dangerous team that's capable of doing some things. Dangerous, but, absolutely. Right. Dangerous team. But they are clearly not a better team than the Chiefs. And the logic behind anybody picking the Colts, and remember, my logic was that I needed to pick an upset to get over Nathan in the pick rankings. So the logic for anyone seriously picking right. the Colts was basically just that Andrew Luck would have to have one of the games of his life and is capable of doing that. Now, Against that the Chiefs D, too. I mean, right. That was, that, was my, that was my logic. Yeah. That, you could, that, that Luck could... I mean, he dug himself... He didn't dig himself a hole. The Colts dug themselves yeah. a hole, and you just always expect Luck to be able to dig right. him out. And it didn't happen, and we just saw the better team win here. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's, that's about right. Luck did have uh, one of his worst games of the season overall. Um, the offensive line actually wasn't that bad. I mean, they, did, they got a little bit of pressure against Braden Smith. It was the right side was bad. Braden Smith and Mark Lewinsky, they gave up the pressure. Braden Smith, the guy that we had been touting for a while saying, "Look, he's had a really nice season, especially as a rookie that's moved from guard. He gave up six total pressures including the strip sack to D Ford." But I do think that's what makes Kansas City defensively a little dangerous at home is you get the home crowd, you get the noise, you get the snap count that you can work off of and they've got three legitimate pass rushers with D Ford. Justin Houston and Chris Jones that can get after. Ironically, this time, Quentin Nelson was their best offensive lineman, but nobody's going to talk about it because they got their ass kicked, so it's not a story. No pressures, yeah. dominant in the run game. Also, I didn't see a highlight real pancake and teabagging for them to really get excited about, but he was way better in this game than he was the last game, and yet <laughs> it's not going to be the story because well, they didn't win. nobody cares. Um, uh, that's just the ironic way of, you know, the way people react to offensive linemen. If you don't have the highlight real play that I can put up 
in a, in a quick, you know, Twitter moment doesn't count. So one of the underrated stories for the Chiefs is Charvarius Ward playing cornerback for them. A guy uh, out of nowhere, undrafted free agent out of Middle Tennessee State. He didn't. He started Week 16 against Seattle, and that was when Andy Reid was like, "Yeah, we're playing the young guys. We're getting these yeah. guys out there and just giving them a shot." He didn't look great against Seattle. He gave up five for seven for 110, did break up a pass, but gave up 110 yards. But over the last couple weeks, he gave up only 43 yards against Oakland, only 42 yards against Indianapolis, and he broke up four passes over the last two weeks. So this is one of those stories everybody's talking about, you know, uh, C.J. Anderson and the Rams and how he's, you know, stepped in in their running game. But a guy like Ward just out of nowhere becoming a starting cornerback and making some plays on the ball, that's that's an important story for a secondary that's been torched most of the year. Right. There's something to this idea that both the Chiefs and the uh, the Eagles were forced to take a look at a bunch of young guys buried on their depth chart um, in terms of the secondary. And, and both those teams have actually gotten some impressive play out of these guys when they've had a little bit of time. Like early on, it was pretty rough. Those guys got exposed. But they got some playing time, and they've all actually started to make some plays down the stretch. Now, obviously, the Eagles, that's over now. But, you know, a guy like Cravon LeBlanc was making a ton of plays yesterday. We'll get to that later. Um, and Ward has made a whole bunch of plays as well. And he's a guy that actually graded pretty well for us in college, albeit, you know, not the greatest sample size in the world, a little bit over 1,100 snaps. But solid PFF grading, 76, 79 over two seasons um not the best coverage stats in the world but more than enough there to show you that he could do some things at the next level yeah and, and it, well and we're starting to see that yeah so that's been an interesting development for the chiefs uh it still doesn't make you feel great about ward plus daniel Sorensen, jordan lucas steven nelson and kendall fuller as your secondary that you're rolling out there every single week yeah but again when you combine that with uh, you know d ford getting his five pressures and chris jones getting his four pressures plus three batted passes sam he had an off week with only three batted passes i mean he must have been making booger so mad yeah i mean he had 25 there were four batted passes in that game that's four times four failures yeah four times the defense was eschewing their uh their pass rush responsibility sticking their hands up in the air batting the pass away i mean that is just unacceptable the point is when you combine Justin Houston, D. Ford, Chris Jones with uh, this young secondary that might be overachieving at times, then you get the game like you did on Saturday from Kansas City. But yeah, there were batted passes left and right. Chris Jones batted three on only 25 rushes. The Colts had a bunch too, didn't they? I don't know. I, I just have, know I that. have to click the other team. Real that was quick. A they game. had one. Yeah, that was a game. But it felt like there were a lot of batted passes. Well, there were. There were five, Steve. That's quite a lot. That is a lot. It's a lot of batted passes in the football game. Um, so credit the Chiefs. Uh, we talk about defense not really being predictable. This was not, you know, this wasn't what I expected. So how much do we chalk it up to Andrew, Andrew Luck just didn't throw the ball well. He did miss a ton of throws, um, left one behind that definitely should have been intercepted, and they just did not have the downfield passing game that they usually have. How much is that Andrew Luck? How much is that, you know, pretty difficult passing conditions as well? Yeah, the passing conditions weren't great. They were getting some pressure from the Chiefs uh pass rush a lot of those passes you know five or four passes for luck got batted down those are all things that contributed to luck not having a big day uh, and then he did you know miss a bunch of passes as well 
I, I think there's also something to be said for the fact that T.Y. Hilton was clearly not 100%. Yeah. Um, it, I think it was the their Week 17 game, but the game where he kind of came back, had a pretty big game, um, it was a big part of them actually making it that far. He didn't look healthy in that game. Like, he busted up his foot or his ankle or something. You could see him kind of limping around. And I remember thinking at the time, I wonder how much that's going to come back and haunt them in the playoffs. Um, I think this is probably the game where it did. Right. We started to see that, yeah, it was. he came up big when he needed to, and he played through that injury at the time. But he clearly wasn't the guy we've expected him to be. Plus, the conditions not helping him be the kind of factor he could be. Um, you take away him from that offense, and you're not left with a whole lot. We're going to talk a lot about what we've defined as balance. I think this is going to be a key theme for the rest of the show here, especially when we talk about the Patriots and some of the other offenses. I think the balance thing that we've talked about, which is balance in football is not about run-pass splits. It's not run 50 times, pass 50 times. It's be able to win every different way. It's be able to throw the ball short, intermediate, deep, and run the ball and be able to hit every level of the field. I thought Kansas City showed the balance because Mahomes didn't hit a pass over 20 yards, but he still threw for 278, had over, over half of his yards came after the catch because Kansas City is not just Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball down the field. He's great at doing it, but when it's not there, they've got the screen game. They have the intermediate game. They've got the run game. That was balance. When you look at Luck, he had 76% of his yards come through the air, meaning only 24% came after the catch. Now, on one hand, you say, hey, good job, quarterback. You're doing all the work. It's not always the case, but I think it showed Indianapolis didn't have the short passing game. They didn't have the balance to hit every single level of the field. So when the downfield passing game isn't there with Andrew Luck, they had nothing. Who was the head coach, one of the new hires that came out and said basically the same thing, was talking about balance? Oh, it was, not, um, was it Denver. Fangio. Uh, Fangio. Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio. Yeah. It was like he copied and pasted my tweet right. from last week where I said it's throwing short, intermediate, deep, and, and oh, by the way, run the ball too. Right, and it's not like he's the only one. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't invent this. Right, Mike concept. Leach has been saying it for right. years that balance is not... Well, because he's the guy that only ever passes. So, well, Mike Leach's know. idea of balance, what he says is <laughs> I want to get 25% to my X receiver, my Y right. receiver, my Z receiver, and my H receiver. That's balance for him. But the point is there's a whole bunch of people that have been saying for years balance is not run versus pass. Right. Balance is a whole bunch of other things that essentially keeps the defense off balance. Like that's how, you're, that's how you define success and balance for an offense. It's keeping a defense off their balance. Um, and you're right, the, the Chiefs had it in this game. They've been able to do an awful lot with that passing game. Um, plus, they actually did have a reasonable run threat. This um, emergence of Damian Williams in the backfield has been pretty yeah. impressive. Like, they sent Kareem Hunt packing after uh, his off-field incident. At least the off-field incident became public. Um, and Damian Williams has looked really good carrying the ball. Now, the concern there is that he isn't the receiving weapon that Kareem Hunt has been. Right. Like one of the things that made Kareem Hunt such a good player is that he could go deep downfield out of the backfield and be a real viable weapon in the passing game. Yeah, we've seen Williams in the screen game a little bit, but Hunt has right. that extra. Damian weapon. Williams, I don't think, at least yet, can do that. Um, he's not that same kind of threat, but he at least gives them that legitimate running threat that they can uh, have success that way. I, the Chiefs, I think, at home become this really fascinating team because they're they may be as good as anybody else out there if their defense gets crawls back towards average Steve. there you go just get somewhere near average and at home i think they are no yeah i hear you so we'll get into the the patriots chiefs a little bit later in the week 
the one more point that's this we'll get into it with the rams game as well we always like to talk about the run games overrated and a lot of that stuff here this was a weekend where the winning teams did run the ball pretty well right but i think again the underlying point is why did they run the ball well i think it's because the best passing teams run the ball well the best run blocking teams run the ball well and oh by the way you have a running back over there that's going to accumulate the stats as well the chiefs ran the ball well and have been able to put a running back in there because of the balance factor because they're so good at attacking every other level of the field the rams same thing you have a scheme that is setting the running back up for success the patriots did the same thing the saints do it as well so all of these teams have great offensive balance oh by the way the running the running game is a part of that it doesn't work off the running game. It's just a part of the whole. Yeah, I mean, we have arguably the top four offenses in the NFL remaining in the postseason. Yeah, but they're, also they're good at everything. three of those four teams have top 10 offensive lines by PFF's offensive line rankings at the end of the season. The fourth is in the top 15. So there's no team left in the postseason with a bottom half offensive line. That, I think, speaks volumes because yep. multiple teams with a bottom half offensive line were eliminated in the playoffs. And they all have top 10 quarterbacks. Our top two quarterbacks, Breeze and Mahomes. Brady was uh, fifth in the regular season. And I think Goff was eighth. That's, that's what's remaining. Right. Um, so the Chiefs' win against the Indianapolis Colts was not what I expected, you know, as far as the game flow goes, but uh, impressive win by the Chiefs. Let's get to the Saturday night game. Dallas Cowboys at to the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams win 30-22. to and do we, again, have a, uh, do we have a primary cause of death for the Colts? I feel like we could do like a whole segment. I, the, I think the Cowboys, we really need to have one that we just make. A, we'll make it like a whole segment at the end. OK, I think we'll come back to it. All right. OK, so let's discuss Rams and Cowboys. Uh, 30 to 22 win for the Rams. The rushing attack for the Rams was very efficient with C.J. Anderson coming in 23 carries for 123 and then his backup todd Gurley with 16 <laughs> carries for 115 yeah. so that's pretty good cj anderson two touchdowns Gurley had one they combined to force seven missed tackles between them i think that's one of those things with the rams it, when with their with their offense when you see all the yardage that they get and comparatively the missed tackle numbers aren't that great right when you have 23 carries 60 they combined for about 39 carries only for seven missed tackles, but they ran the ball for over almost 240 yards between the two of them. Yeah. That tells me the scheme and the offensive line is giving them some holes. They're taking what's there. They're, you know, finishing runs pretty well. Gurley had that really nice touchdown run, but they don't make a ton of guys miss in open space. Yeah, but this, uh, the Rams offensive line was one of the liabilities in the playoffs, according to Booger. Oh, God. Called out by Andrew Whitworth after the game, by the way. Um, he called out Booger? Andrew Whitworth did, yeah. He did? Yeah, yeah. Because, actually, the Rams' offensive line has been one of the best in the league It was a season. poor take from Booger, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, Again, Booger, if terrible. I was talking to you to your face, I would say that's a poor take. Um, an awful take. Because, in his, his point, I saw him follow up with some tweets, was, well, did you see the Eagles and Bears games? Well, mm. yes, when you go up against two out of the three best defensive fronts, sometimes the defense is going to win and do, pretty, you know, do a pretty good job. And that was the case. But if you're looking at the whole season, the Rams... One of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Yeah. Top three. Um, the Rams offensive line in this game did not allow either a sack or a hit on Jared Goff and combined allowed just two hurries. The one hit was allowed by Todd Gurley. Yes. That was ironically. the one time Jared Goff officially got hit. So Gurley and Tyler Higby, tight end, allowed the same amount of total pressure as the entire offensive line 
combined in this game. So that right there is a pretty big part of this game, not going Dallas's way. Literally no, like no, almost no pressure whatsoever on um, Jared Goff, plus this idea that if you're going to do that, you you know the, the chances are they're going to be running the ball, and they couldn't stop that either. This went basically the way um, we were predicting it, right? That Dallas did come out with the game plan that had stymied this team um, down the stretch in those games, like the, the Bears game, the Eagles game. Yep. They did come out kind of dropping people into shallow zones, trying to take away the passing game, effectively daring the Rams to run the ball with Todd Gurley. And this time, instead of saying, no, we want the passing game, the Rams said, okay, let's, let's run it. And yep. they loaded it up with Todd Gurley and C.J. I mean, Anderson, and they took advantage of those light fronts, and they ran the hell over the Dallas Cowboys. If you run for five to seven yards a pop, that becomes valuable. Like, if you can ensure that you're going to run for five-plus yards per carry, I'm not saying rush 60 times, but that's obviously a more efficient uh, brand of playing football. Um, but it goes back to, again, that the numbers that everybody's finding is that successful runs start with actually the level of play, the, qu- the quarterback, then the offensive right. line, right? All these other things. And then, by the way, it's the running back. This really exemplified that. Yeah, I mean, this was, this was a really big game for the Rams because my big question for them heading into this game was had teams started to figure them out down right. the stretch, which is if you take away the one thing or if you've identified the thing they want to do and you figured out how to take that away on defense, they hadn't yet shown the ability to adjust and to make you know, the change off the back of that and go to something else in a way that great teams do. You know, They figure out what you're taking away they go to something else and they still have success the Rams hadn't done that yet and they'd struggled when teams had taken that away this is the first game where they figured it out they went okay if you're going to take away that we'll just run the ball 39 times between those two players and we'll win that way I think that's huge for them because ultimately the Rams are a really good team they are still the number one graded team at PFF overall this is a very good team that had and Everybody gives the credit to Sean McVay and this magician system, but it had kind of been figured out towards the end of the season. And this is the first time we've seen, okay, he's, he's, he's made the adjustment. He's at least figured out. They have the adjustments. How they to go balance. away from that. It's, it's huge. Did you see the Dallas defensive grades? Yeah, it's all bad. The all highest grade, other than Damian Wilson, who played 10 snaps, Demarcus Lawrence with a 62. Yeah. Pretty much everybody on the Dallas team played below average 62 snaps for demarcus lawrence which also matched his pff grade for the game their defensive tackles karan reed had 25 snaps with a 38 grade malik collins 65 snaps with a 40 grade antoine woods 49 snaps with a 48 grade mm-hmm. and even our boys leighton van Der Esch and jalen smith who we said have played so well this year leighton van Der Esch with a 52 jalen smith with a 57 just not great from that defensive front seven for Dallas. Yeah, 10 missed tackles for the defense. I mean, they really just got run right over. Um, you have to credit the Rams for making that adjustment and dominating because of it. Um, and again, it's another team that becomes... The, I, I think we're lucky because the four remaining teams have probably been the four best teams in the NFL this season. You could make the debate between the Patriots and the Chargers, right. but the way they were outcoached in that game kind of renders that argument pretty you know pretty conclusively the other way anyway no i would say i'd say that's about right um the other interesting nugget from this game is aaron donald only had one pressure on 38 
rushes. And, and people have talked about the Rams. Everybody looked at this and said, well, the Rams can't stop the run. Dallas loves to run the ball. They've got Zeke. Therefore, that's a weakness. But the other part about the run game is I think most teams, and I, I, uh, was it Troy and uh, this was Troy and Joe on yeah. this one, right? Troy may have made the point. He doesn't make a ton of great points, but he may have made the point that the Rams said, like, if we want to stop the run, we'll stop the run, right? I think most teams are of that mind. If they want to game plan to stop the run, they can do it. You just, it's just a, you just get the box count, right? You just throw more guys up there, and generally you're okay. We're saying Dallas got beat up in the run game because more often than not, they said, all right, we're going to back off a little bit. We're going to trust our defensive line. And if you don't have the numbers advantage, you'll give up a little bit more. I felt like the Rams tried to stop the run a little bit more. And Dominic and Sue has a monster game against the run. He's still capable of that. So they did a better job of slowing down Zeke in that rushing attack. They did. Um, Sue, this is probably Sue's best game as yep. a Ram. Um, I don't know if he's just been sandbagging all season long until they actually hit the postseason. Saving it for the playoffs. Right. And then it's like, right, now I'll try. He's been saving his whole career for the playoffs, maybe. Which honestly wouldn't shock me if oh, he'd been kind of mailing it in throughout the season and now he's going to turn it on when we hit the postseason. But that's what himself, makes the Rams dangerous, right? Get himself a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, I could absolutely see that. Um, that's what makes the Rams dangerous. But yeah, he, he had some uh, big plays in there. Was it there was one um, short yardage dive up the middle where he absolutely crushed. Was it Lyle Collins or Zach Martin that he dominated at the point of attack and essentially stuffed that entire play? Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. He tracked one down along the sideline too. Yeah, different one. Or was that the same one? This I think was his best play or best game. Yeah, he made it, uh, he for made a, a long time. Anyway, uh, Marcus Peters in the Rams secondary. Gave up six catches for 115, also with one of the worst missed tackles you're going to see. Flailing in the open field. Yeah, that was some pretty ugly stuff. Just something to keep an eye on with Peters. Uh, Tlaib comes back and only gives up two catches for 14 yards, 47 on, on five targets, 47.9 passer rating. Um, so that's huge having Tlaib. But, man, they still need Peters to either start just picking passes off like he did in Kansas City to kind of make up for the fact that he gives up a lot. Don't forget playoff superstar Troy Hill got on the field 10 snaps wasn't targeted. I assume that's just because you don't target Troy Hill in the playoffs from last year against Atlanta. You don't throw Troy Hill's way during the playoffs so you just don't touch it. No. Just don't touch it. Um, So Jared Goff also seals the deal with uh, a rushing attempt as expected. Yeah of course. Anything else from this game? That stood out to you. Rams offensive line scheme system, I think, is the uh, the story of the game here. Um, underrated, kind of under the wire, in fact, hot take from this game um, from Troy was oh, that God. Robert Woods is arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL. That one kind of flew by without anybody really questioning it. But I saw everybody on Twitter that, questioning it. But that's I, pretty. I would say out there. I'm assuming that he forgot the word all around wide receiver and it's because he's overweighing the fact that he likes to mix it up as a run blocker that's got to be it right give him a pass i mean here's the thing it's well it is crazy right but it's not that it's not (laughs) it's it's relatively close to being arguable right this season robert woods was a top 10 wide receiver in terms of pff grades and 89.4 overall at the moment that's right up there with adam thielen with tyreek hill but let's Devontae adams we also let's et defi- let's define the grade as well when we say a grade we say here's how well this guy played in his exact situation yeah given what we know about sean mcveigh the scheme and all these different things that he's done you're not going to in isolation say that robert woods is a top 10 wide receiver in the nfl at least i wouldn't because it's it's like the whole number two corner thing right 
right? The number two corner that plays great as a number two corner and has a top 10 season, I'm not calling him a top 10 cornerback in isolation, in a vacuum. He's a wide receiver one. I think you could make the case that he's a top 10 wide receiver. Now, it would be an argument because... You know, in that range, you're oh, I, don't be think, I, I think there's guys graded lower than him. That right. Are just so that's better. what I'm saying. In that range, you're going to be talking about guys like T.Y. Hilton, like A.J. Green. Hilton's like, better. There's AJ a lot Green's of good better. players. Mike Evans is better. Right. So I think you could make the argument. The idea that he's the best is kind of crazy. Yeah, of course it's crazy. Um, our boy Michael Gallup started looking good, making yeah. plays. He, really so he, this was a thing that he did in college as well that is people don't. I think appreciate how stupidly hard it is to do, but when a ball is coming in over your shoulder and late on you realize that it's coming too far outside of you and the only way to adjust to that is to essentially track it across your two different shoulders and you almost lose sight of it in your blind spot because you've got a helmet on and it's going to pass behind you. So he looks up in the air, you know, it's coming in over his right shoulder and you realize late on that actually it's going to come all the way in over your left shoulder you have to, like, swap shoulders whilst tracking the ball and trying to catch it in a bucket, right? It's extremely hard to do. That may be the single hardest thing that a receiver has to do in terms of just tracking a ball to catch it. And I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody better at it than Gallup. Willie Mays-type catch, but with a helmet on, right? There you go. Yeah, yeah. that's that analogy. He had I mean, six catches for 119, four first downs. Yeah. Randy Moss was always really good at that as well, but Gallup is ridiculously good at doing that for a Moss guy that doesn't so have... Everything blazing down the speed. Field. Well, this is true. Yeah. Uh, Amari Cooper looked really fast on his touchdown. I don't know if it's because he was lined up against um, Lamarcus Joyner. He's also really fast. I yeah, mean. I mean he he hit the Jets on that one. Um, so we'll talk about Dallas. Let's do. We'll do a post mortem on Dallas later. Uh, by the way, Dak Prescott he got away with just one of the most brutal passes of the year. He threw it right to the curl flat dropping defender Ebucam. Ebucam threw it right to him. It could be, it, and it got it, dropped. Other than that, though, Dak did make a few nice plays to keep them in it, but. Um, not enough against uh, the better team, the Los Angeles Rams. Let's get to the Sunday action starting at 1 p.m., 10 a.m. Pacific time, Sam. The Los Angeles Chargers add to the New England Patriots. Yes. My wife just keeps saying San Diego. I mean, must, she said it to me like 20 times yesterday. That must be helpful. No, it screwed me up on camera last week. Yeah. I screwed up and said San Diego. She's like, I will never change. She will never stop. By the way. I'm also, we're, uh, we're waiting for baby number three. Yeah. I want to make sure she hasn't. It's very close. Right. It's very close. I'm just waiting. So if I have to leave the podcast, yeah. you're, t- you're just. I'm just going to monologue the last, you know, the last few great. games. That'd be great. I, yeah. I could just, do it. Oh, man. You I'm would ready. just pull out every bad grade and talk about all the worst players. Yeah. That'd be what, fun. That's what Sam's game recaps. Would right. Be. Look up. I know the Patriots scored 41, but did you see how bad their right tackle was? Here's everybody that sucked today. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be fun. The I'm Saints actually rooting defense for that was great, but this guy didn't get any pressure. Yeah, I'm actually rooting for that now. So I'll just wait. I, I've got my phone on. I'm uh-huh. going to keep it on the table just okay. in case. I don't want to miss. That's fine. We're on call. Baby number three. Little guy's on his way soon. Yeah. So just. This is questionable timing for. It's horrible timing. PFF baby. No, no. So she's due the day after the Super Bowl. Right. So on one hand, it's like, all right, you're due. You set a due date. That's like the day after the season. That's great. Season's over. But she also usually historically right. with our two babies is like a week early yeah a bye week plus it's not so like I, I timed it up perfectly for no, the bye no, week. no no because these things aren't like you know accurate you can't say well i'm a day after I, it's important so we're good you have to ha- you have to factor in the idea that's like a give or take a couple of weeks either side yeah 
Maybe it should have been June. Hmm. Or April, say. No, April's the draft. After the draft, see. That's too much. Not enough buffer room. There. May or June. 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 May or June. Safe. Yeah. June is safe. Which Next time. Do that. Next yeah. time. We'll, uh, we'll plan it out better. Yeah. All right. So the Chargers had to travel to New England. Right. 1 p.m. game. Um, somebody did tweet at me. He's like, uh, and you too, I think, right? Hey, this is the balance you guys were talking about, this New England offense, right? They could... They had the short passing game. They had the running attack. They had enough downfield passes just to keep San Diego honest or Los Angeles. See, she did it. She did it. She's in my head calling it San Diego. Yeah. So Los Angeles Chargers, what are your thoughts on this? Well, A, this was the most embarrassing performance of the playoffs. The Chargers are just completely, they were worked. I mean, this was a complete disaster. And it wasn't just, it was everything, right? They got beaten physically. They got beaten uh, schematically. And they had no business being on the field. This, the score, what did the score end up being? 41-28. Uh, Sounds vaguely close, right? This was basically 41-7. And then there were some late scores just to make it look a little less embarrassing. But this was, also was a joking. disaster. Philip Rivers has like a legitimate Hall of Fame case, given his stats. And even right. though he doesn't have the, the Hall of Fame moment, because he, th- he threw three playoff touchdowns here, he did pad his uh, <laughs> playoff stats for his Hall of Fame case just a little bit here. Yeah, but we're talking... So the, the, the real issues were essentially... This game was really won in the trenches, right? We, my concern with the Chargers team for a while was this idea that the offensive line would come back to haunt them at some point in the most important situation in the postseason. Right. Much like it did for the Minnesota Vikings a year ago, and that's kind of what happened to their offense. Uh, Rivers is under pressure 24 out of 53 dropbacks, which again is right in that ballpark of forget about it, it's not going to happen. Sam Tevy, the biggest disaster on that line, as we talked about, allowed eight hurries. That's quite a large number. Every single member of the offensive line surrendered at least three hurries on an individual level. So they were just completely outclassed on that side of the ball. And then the other idea was what would happen to their defense? Uh, Were they going to run the same thing that they ran the week before with this uh, seven defensive back system, the no linebacker deal, and they just they were just blown off the ball by the Patriots because whilst they also have a relatively run heavy offense at times, the difference between them and the Baltimore Ravens is that they have this um, stable of monster run blocking offensive linemen up front that right. will just drive you the hell off the ball, and where we were saying that. One of the things that made this system function wasn't just the kind of schematic wrinkle of it, but it was the fact that their defensive linemen all won their one-on-one battles up front. That was what it was. This right? didn't happen this week. They got destroyed That's by... The char- meaning the, Charger- the Chargers last week against the Ravens. It wasn't the fact that they had seven defensive backs. It was that... Well, that was part of it, right? It was- but that only functioned yeah. if the defensive linemen all won as well. Right, because Justin Jones was, was really good. Melvin Ingram was really good. Darius Phylon, Damian Square, all of their... Big defensive lineman played extremely well against the Ravens. Complete opposite yesterday. New England won that battle when it came to the run game. And then from a pass rush standpoint, the Patriots, um, even though there's a handful of games through Brady's career where you're like, oh, the Giants got to him twice and the Broncos got to him in the AFC Championship, they do have the ability to use the short passing game to slow down uh, good pass rushing teams. So they were able to slow down Bosa and Ingram and Derwin James. Derwin. You know, they're yeah. the great pass rushers that the uh, that the Los Angeles Chargers employ. Yes. I mean, the among the impressive run blocking grades for the Patriots were Trent Brown, Joe Tooney, 
David Andrews, Mark, uh, Shaq Mason, and Rob Gronkowski. Gronk, Gronk turned back game. up and had a monster game as a run blocker. So that's four out of the five offensive linemen, your primary blocking uh, skill position player, and the fifth guy wasn't bad. He just didn't dominate the way the other four guys did. So, again, all of their run blockers essentially won their battles, and the Chargers, they were getting blown off the ball up front, and because of that, the guys on the back end didn't have the same opportunities as they had a week ago which is essentially unobstructed runs through to the running back, to the ball carrier. This time they actually had to navigate traffic, and that didn't go well either. And and you also have, the Patriots also have enough eye candy, too, in their run game. They don't just run one run concept. They run wham and power and just straight gap, and they run some zone, outside zone type stuff. And then they have all of the jet sweep game with Cord- Cordero Patterson and Julian Edelman. And you, you don't know. They had one play that got called back with Patterson where it was like two misdirections before the uh, Patterson end around. That was a really nice play, too. So they've got some creativity to it, and they're making their blocks. So that makes it tough to stop. Then you have James White catching the ball 15 times out of the backfield. And that was the other part about the Chargers game plan, right? When Brady has gone up against these cover three, cover one teams, all of this Pete Carroll tree, I'm not trying to say he's figured them out, but he's had a lot of success. He had success against Seattle in the Super Bowl, Atlanta in the Super Bowl after they figured it out. Atlanta did adjust a little bit. They played a lot of man. But these teams, play when they play a ton of just their base, cover three zone, he generally picks them apart. And he's like, all right, I'll take this short thing. I'll take this short thing. Here's a seam pass. Yeah, short, I mean, short seam. I mean, that's what it is. I don't even think it's a case of he's figured them out. It's just that what he does well is the exact thing you need to be good at to, to uh, have success against those defenses. So right. remember way back the, the Peyton Manning versus the Seahawks defense Super Bowl. Right, the big question going into that was that the way you beat these defenses is you have to be patient and take what they give you and essentially kill them with a thousand paper cuts that has been great like nobody has been better than tom brady at doing that throughout his career he is probably the most patient quarterback of all time and yep. that he doesn't need to beat you with a big pass if it takes you know 60 pass attempts of five yards he will do that all day long and not get frustrated most other quarterbacks will reach a point where even if that's working they just snap they can't it's take it anymore chucking. and they've got to go deep it's like it's just a, an inbuilt twitch with them, and eventually that's their undoing because they they go crazy, and either they have a couple of incompletions deep, and they turn the ball over on you know not on downs, but they have to kick it away, or they throw a costly mistake interception because of that. But that's the thing that beats them. They can't live with this idea of having to win by a thousand paper cuts. Whereas Brady, that's what he lives doing. So he carves these teams apart, and the only way of preventing that is to change what you do. And go to a more aggressive man coverage kind of scheme, which he does struggle against comparatively. And again, comparatively, right? Right. And the Chargers didn't do that, and it cost them again. You can't. We'll see more men like, with Kansas City next week, I believe. Yeah, it was as impressive as their kind of game plan was to foil the Baltimore Ravens the week before. This was equally as impressively inept to do essentially nothing to change the thing you know won't work heading into the game. It included a poor miscommunication on Brady's touchdown pass to Philip Dorsett in the red zone. Uh, but to your point, Brady threw the ball 44 times, no turnover-worthy plays. I mean, that's that's his game where, right. where they say, look, we're going to run. The-. They ran the ball a lot, too, but it was still a pass-heavy game. You're putting the ball in his hands and just saying, make good decision after good decision, find the open man over and over and over again and move the ball. I mean, this was your exemplary, uh, exemplar 
Exemplary. Exam- yeah. Hmm. Exemplary. I don't know what I was going for there. This is your great example. Exemplary. Of, yeah. Of uh, balance, right? Yes. They had balance in the run game and the pass game. They did everything. The Chargers defense basically couldn't stop anything all the way through the course of this game. The Patriots were just scoring at will in the first half. The game was done at halftime. Yeah, from a they didn't the Patriots had they didn't really have the downfield passing game, but they were four for five at the intermediate level. Um, 12, 19 for twenty two on zero to nine yard passes. So they got the short stuff and they had a bunch of behind the line of scrimmage. Right. And again, well. you, you know, balance is not, it doesn't have to be everything. No, no, right? it, you it's don't just need, have answers. Right. You don't need everything if they're not taking away the things you are doing. So you just need enough balance. Again, it's, you just need enough balance to keep the defense off balance. And that doesn't necessarily have to include the deep ball. If they're, if they're not stopping any of the stuff you're doing that doesn't involve the deep ball. Neil sent me an image. I don't know if this is live. Okay. Traverius Ward with a 74.6 special teams grade. This is breaking news from Neil Hornsby, <laughs> um, who I know is watching live. Thank you, Neil, for being one of our, uh, our live watchers. He sent me this video. Tra- uh, Traverius Ward from Kansas City, the guy we were talking yeah, yeah. about earlier, 10 special teams tackles. This Yesterday? Year. Or not yes- yesterday? Saturday? No, this season. Right. this season. Right. I was going to say, because that would be a hell of a breaking news. Um, so there's a nugget, news, there's they a nugget 10 for special our... teams tackles in one game that would be outstanding <laughs> there's a nugget for the uh for the listeners here um so just to wrap up this chargers uh patriots game the chargers yes they scored 28 points that was not um indicative of how well they played the passing game was made very difficult for philip rivers that was the other matchup coming in we said philip rivers has been really good this season but 22nd in the nfl in completion percentage against man coverage this year and the Patriots play more man coverage than any team in the NFL. And it did have that feel of like, wow, he's throwing the ball away a lot. Passes are contested. He made a few nice throws in there, you know, because they're tight windows. But just everything felt like it was challenged right. for the Chargers. And then the other question was, would the Patriots have a better game plan for stopping Keenan Allen, their number one threat, than, you know, the Steelers had, where they basically right. put linebackers on him all game? And the Patriots' answer was to put Stephon Gilmore on him one-on-one all game. Now, when Gilmore was covering Keenan Allen, he was targeted five times, not just one catch. Okay, one the catch coverage. Right, the catch was 43 yards and a touchdown because, you know, Gilmore bit on the dig as opposed to what he was actually running. But that's a pretty impressive... Um, elimination essentially of Keenan Allen from the game plan with one guy as opposed to letting right. him destroy you play after play. And the thing that makes the Patriots system unique and people always talk about how it's game plan oriented, it's the way they play man coverage. You know, we put it in the system like, oh, they're playing cover one. So when you play cover one, it's man coverage across the board, but you have two extra defenders, usually a safety, sometimes two safeties, sometimes a safety and a linebacker, but it's what New England does with their extra defenders that makes them unique. Because, you know, like when you're playing Madden and you pick cover one, it's like, all right, this guy's going to cover short middle. This guy's going to cover deep. And that's what those extra guys do. The Patriots take those extra guys and they're like, all right, this time you're going to bracket the slot. This time you're going to bracket Keenan Allen. This time you're going to go watch Antonio Gates. This time it's a short zone. So they move around those extra players. So they play cover one, but they all have these little nuances and, and, you know, little adjustments to take away those players. This is what makes the matchup with Kansas City so difficult because how much... Right. Do you put on Tyree Kill? How much do you put on Travis Kelsey? They have more answers 
than most of your teams. Just to contrast the um, Keenan Allen thing with that Pittsburgh game, against the Steelers, he was targeted 19 times as opposed to six total yep. uh, in this game. Had 14 catches as opposed to two. So, and, and two of those incompletions were drops. So he could have destroyed the Steelers for even more than he did. Wow. Like, that's the, the difference between essentially not accounting for him How at all. How many against linebackers? Uh, against the, the linebackers, the we've got six, seven, seven, tar- eight targets, nine, ten targets uh, against linebackers of any kind, including outside linebackers. Another ten out of 19 targets. Another five for safeties. Only four of those 19 targets came against a cornerback. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Domination right? That's an issue. That's right. an issue of game planning and not having an answer to what they were doing. Contrast that with what the Patriots did, which is five out of his six targets were against Gilmore alone. And right. Gilmore essentially took him away other than the one play where he goofed. And, and just so you know, like when you're if your team, you've got a new defensive coordinator coming in and he's a man coverage guy versus a zone coverage guy, the, the trade-off here is man coverage generally leads to just more difficult passes. The, the completion percentage is going to be lower, but you're not going to get as many turnovers, whereas a zone-heavy team is going to give up the dink and dunk, but you're going to you know, try to get the turnovers. This game kind of summed that up. Brady you know, short, takes the short pass game against the zone defense, but he doesn't turn it over, right? and that's why he's good right. against this because he doesn't make bad decisions for the most part. And then the Chargers throw the ball 51 times. Phillip Rivers is under 50%. Every completion is challenged and difficult. And man coverage has a higher touchdown rate as well, right? Because when it goes bad, it goes bad. Right. Yep. So those, that's your trade-off. You get a lower completion percentage, but you get less. But you give up more big plays. Right. You give up fewer right. turnovers, but you give up more. Yep. You get fewer turnovers, but you give up more big plays. Because when it go, does go south, it's like it happened with Gilmore. But a good, good man coverage is so frustrating for the off, for the for the offense. And that's course, why we're saying yeah. when when Brady and the passing offense for the Patriots has been shut down, it's against those when teams just play that man coverage really well and actually do what the Patriots do defensively against them and they take those extra defenders, take away the middle, take away Edelman, take away Gronk. Well, it's because of what we were talking about, right? Pa- Brady is the best patient quarterback of all time. He will happily take an easy completion every single play and just accept that it's going to work over the long term. But if you then make, if you play man coverage, what you're doing is making all of those plays more difficult. And you're actually forcing them to kind of create, or you're forcing them to make bigger plays to have the same offensive production. And it's just harder for a guy who's really good at that. Now, if you're a team who wants the bigger plays anyway, you're more comfortable with that. So if you're, you're one of these quarterbacks that's less patient, that wants to be attacking deeper down the field anyway, you're more comfortable with that scenario and taking the bigger chunk plays than you are with, with having to carve them up with five-yard passes all day long. Yep. So this was the most lopsided game yes. of the weekend. The Patriots uh, tied, tied for second with the most points in the first half of a playoff game. It was the ni- my 1999 Jaguars are number one, <laughs> Sam. They scored 42 in, against Dan Marino in his last game, and then the Patriots scored 35 yesterday and 35 against Tim Tebow's 2011 Broncos. Yeah. So the Patriots tied for second twice in that number. Um, this felt like the one game. I said the Colts, Cowboys, and Eagles all have to play like this perfect game, it feels like, to pull the upset. I thought the Chargers had the best chance right. at an upset, but this was like old school New England. Same. Like, you don't come into our house, and we're going to beat you in all faces. But that's why I think this was the most disappointing performance of the weekend, because, I mean, uh, the Chargers had a better record than the Patriots over the regular season. They did. Right? Yeah. They were a good team. Now, okay, they had some flaws that were going to become problems, this offensive line, for one, but 
they got outcoached. This was a terrible performance from a team that went out there and were just playing the wrong game plan almost across the board. And the Patriots, obviously being the Patriots, had the right game plan almost across the board. And they were just beaten off the field before before they had a chance to get anything going. So, you know, at least the Colts were beaten up by a better team, but they weren't, you know, crazily exposed from a schematic point of view, right? They were just out they were just outfought by a team that was better. Yeah. The Cowboys, they at least did the right thing, right? They came up with the right game plan that has been proven to work against the Rams and the Rams adjusted. Now maybe you, if you could make you could make the argument that Dallas, you know, a really great team would have adjusted to the adjustment and come back against them, you know, but the chances are that just plays back into the Rams' hands because that's what they want to do in the first place. So at least you give Dallas credit for showing up with the right game plan right, that, they, I agree that the Rams just had an answer for. The Chargers showed up with the wrong game plan and never changed it. Never adjusted. And Romo was saying, look, you can't sit back. you got to blitz. They only blitzed seven times on right. 44 dropbacks, even though the Pats had 70 yards on those. Se- but still, like you, that's, that's, that would be the game right. plan against this year's Patriots is maybe be a little bit more aggressive than you would against Brady yeah. in the past. Let's get to the final game. Philadelphia Eagles at the New Orleans Saints. It looked like the Foles magic. I mean, the, the beginning of that game, yeah. Breeze throws a pick. It's 14 nothing. Amazing start for the Eagles, but then they got shut down. How insane is that, by the way? This game was 14 nothing, Almost then the immediately. Eagles, and then the Eagles didn't score again. It's also one of those things where it's like, okay, the Saints ki- uh, received the opening kick. Breeze throws a pick on his first pass, and you're like, all right, we're, not, we're getting the ball in the second right. half if you're the Eagles, and everything's set up. They, I mean, they, that was as good a start as they could have wished for, and the Saints were legitimately rattled. Like, they... You know, went for the for the fourth down conversion on a trick, uh, you know, fake punt. This was a team that I think was feeling they needed to do something pretty quickly to get back in this game because things were starting to get ugly. And it's just it's amazing that we went from that situation to the Eagles didn't score again for the rest of the game and ended up needing to try and, you know, execute a magical comeback right at the death. And obviously, we know how that went. So this is another point, though, too. All of these good teams kept stealing possessions, right, by going for it on fourth down. Yeah. The Rams did it that one time, right? Was the Rams that did it? I mean, the Cowboys were aggressive. Teams generally aggressive this season, expected. like as much as everybody wants to keep hammering teams for making these incorrect decisions, whether you went for two or not, teams, have, if nothing else, teams have obviously got the message about going for it on fourth down. Like, Dude, just to talk about the Jason league, Garrett, period, for, has gotten way more aggressive with that. This feels like the easiest thing to adjust to, like to make Dalton to make Andy Dalton an elite quarterback is probably not going to happen overnight, right? Or correct ever. to tell your your head coach like, hey, we ran some numbers on fourth down decisions. You should probably be more aggressive. Right. That can happen on like the Saturday night before the game. Yes. So that also feels like Jason Garrett, who's got this conservative reputation, and he punts every time they're inside opposing territory. I mean, the Cowboys front office people could have just sat down with him and said, look, Jason, we're the underdog. We shouldn't even be here. You got to start going for it. And he just said, okay, I'm going to be more aggressive. I feel like that's an easy adjustment. Um, my point with the Saints, though, is every time it's fourth and one, they seem like, yeah, we're going right, to go think, for it. I think generally the league has gotten way more aggressive with that. Uh, Peter King in his uh, Monday column for NBC now, what is that called? Monday morning in America. There you go. Isn't it? I think so, yeah. He's got a bit in it from Pro Football Focus with the uh, percentages in fourth down. So 
In 2016, teams went for it on fourth and short 23% of the time. Okay. 2017, they went for it on 24% of the time. 24. But this year, it's up to 31. So it's a pretty significant kick in the right direction of being more aggressive on those fourth and short plays. Um, I'm, I think you're seeing that. It Can feels you imagine like, how high-scoring games will be when that gets closer to 40? Yeah, f- or 45, 50. 50. We actually get to the, you know, the, the neighborhood of the percentage of converting that play i saw people because again we don't take full credit for this like other people have studied of course go for it on fourth down more often the run games over it people have studied this before but i saw the breakdown of like when you should go for it essentially if it's fourth and one anytime you're on like your own 30 the the 30s like that's 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 the cutoff every anytime you get to your own 30 and it's fourth and one go for it every time fourth and two is like the cutoffs like the 40 fourth and threes right around the 40 I mean, it's almost like go for 75% of your fourth and shorts, fourth and three or less Yeah, um, for the most part. So when the league gets to that point between the successes on those plays and then the failures on those plays that lead to other scores, we're going to see even more scoring. Those, so they, it was an uptake of, what, 7% um, yeah. from the year ago. Good that, math. You're our math guy. Thanks. That 7% uptake led to 43 additional touchdowns on those drives. That's the difference in the year, right? It was like an 80 touchdown right. difference last year to this. So year, this spike in offensive production, a, a huge part of it is the teams kept the drive alive on you know a significantly larger percentage of their uh, their drives than they did the year before and the year before that. And this is this is very similar to the NBA saying a three pointer is more valuable than a two pointer. Now I know that sounds easy, but take more threes because it's one and a half times the value of a two pointer. Good math, right? How's that? Yeah. Um, but it's essentially the same thing. Like, yeah, field goals have value, but I'm going to take this risk. I have a 60% chance of converting, and then I'm going to get more touchdowns. Right. I mean, this whole, this whole drive in analytics, there is obviously a giant breadth of what analytics encompasses. Yes. But this is one of the most simple things, right? This is one of the most stark and easy things that the analytics says is go for fourth and short more. Because yeah. it makes it makes everything better. It works out for your benefit in the long term. And I think A, we're seeing it happen. And B, we're seeing the change in mentality from coaches thinking, well, I don't want to be the guy who makes a mess of it on fourth down because I'll spend the week talking about it and have to justify it. Now it's almost the other way around. If you don't go for it, you have to justify, you have to justify why you your did, punt. Right. Yeah. Why you were so conservative, why you didn't go for it when the numbers say you should have, because now everybody's having access to these numbers and knows the math behind it. So now we're seeing coaches essentially forced into making those decisions because the data is out there to tell them to do it. All right, let's get to the rest of the, the Eagles and Saints here. Um, so the Eagle, the game starts as as well as it can for the Eagles. Yeah. 14 points right off the bat. Foles makes a beautiful touchdown pass down the field. Foles seems to have this knack, kind of like I I say Cam Newton has. Cam Newton makes every pass feel like he's got 12 guys coming after him. I feel like that's... Foles was under pressure 10 times, 10 out of 31 dropbacks. That's not crazy. No. That's about league average. It felt like every pass he's just like... Oh, there's people. I got to. I got to drift. I got to fall. I'm all over the place. And sometimes it works, and it makes it look spectacular. He did make some really nice throws again, and then he, and then he missed a bunch too. But Foles has this weird knack for making everything almost feel like it's difficult. So he started off great, and then just slowed down. The Saints' defense really cracked down. It did after it, that slow it's, start. It's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this before that we've got at least three defenses that are really capable of turning it on and being kind of the reason that their team wins a game. Left. 
and then one that I'm not sure if they're capable of that. The Chiefs were just begging them to be average? Well, no, even the Chiefs. Like, we've seen the Chiefs' defense oh, the multiple times. The Rams? I don't know if the Rams are capable of taking over oh, a game like that. Oh, they're better than the Chiefs. Taking over are they? a game? Well, they're better defense than the Chiefs, but are they capable of taking over a game the way we've seen the Chiefs' defense do a few times this season? Because when the Chiefs' defense cooks... Yeah. Those guys up front just absolutely wreck things. If you got a better version of Marcus Peters, because when Talib is out there, right. things are difficult. If you got a better version of Peters, and then you've got Donald and Playoff Sue, we'll call him Playoff Sue, playoff that they've Sue. just unleashed, okay. Wild Dogs Sue, you've got some pieces in there that could take over games. You've pieces in there. I just don't know if the defense as a whole can do it. It may be. The- so you think the Chiefs' defense is better than the Rams? Is That's that what not what saying? I said. That's not what I said. I think the Rams know, probably just, have a better defense. I'll but let the you Chiefs have, your have a defense that's capable of taking over games in a way we haven't yet seen from the Rams. They might because, let's face it, the pieces they acquired on paper should be way better than they have been, but we haven't seen it yet. No, I hear you. Whereas the other three defenses we've seen and from each one of those, the Saints, the Patriots, and the Chiefs have been able to turn it on at least in a game to show or to dominate in a way that they're not supposed to be able to do with the kind of quality they have. Yeah, the Saints defense. And again, the difference between the Saints now, these last two years and previous Drew Brees led seasons is they have the ability to win multiple ways. They have balance as a team because their defense can get out there and win some games for them as they did this season. Their running game can be a complimentary piece more than they ever have. Um, so you have guys like Eli Apple, who you know, ends up being a pretty Pretty nifty midseason pickup. I wouldn't go that far. No? No. He had a nice game. He did. But remember at the time, we said Ken Crawley's playing so poorly right now. Yeah. If Eli Apple is just a slight upgrade, it's it, it's a big difference. Yeah. He's I mean, done that. He can, yeah. He can be, I would still be pretty concerned about going out with him as one of my starting quarterbacks. Look, he's had some really way. nice games. He's had some bad games in there too, but he's had some really nice ones. I'm just saying I would I would be concerned. Your whole point is on this like week to week in any given No, week. he's capable of, and that's why I'm saying Apple. this is one of the defenses that's capable of turning it on like that. So he only gave up 15 yards on four targets yesterday. Marshawn Lattimore with that spectacular interception of Foles earlier on and then that easy interception to seal the deal after yeah. the uh the drop from alshon jeffrey i feel for alshon jeffrey by the way I definitely mean, lost in all this and we talked about last week it was like i can't believe people were bragging about the bears beating the eagles it was just one missed field goal i mean if alshon jeffrey catches that ball where are they at the, about the 30 yard line right yeah, i mean they had you've a legit the, shot to win you've it. got the best postseason quarterback in the history of the nfl all time nick Foles. yeah driving him down i was ready for them to drive down for the game winning touchdown they, I, I mean i wouldn't have been surprised if it happened this was right this was a close game they absolutely had a chance to win it at the end and i do feel sorry for jeffrey because he made a ton of big plays for them in this game um and it's just he, if anyone deserved to have the you know the mistake that essentially cost him the game it shouldn't have been jeffrey he did more than enough to have earned earn that ball to bounce in a different way yeah. and we wouldn't be talking about it oh he's definitely had some beautiful contested catches on passes that never should have been caught um the eagles defensive front ended up getting really banged up fletcher cox in and out of the lineup only only 40 snaps he's still man some of the plays that he had forcing holds and stuff like that almost just winning immediately off the snap his power is just ridiculous i think one of the big stories here though the, the eagles came out and they looked like they're okay we're gonna play some zone we're gonna give we're gonna just break hard on the underneath stuff kind of force breeze to throw the ball over our head and breeze first pass is underthrown your boy uh, cravon leblanc makes a beautiful play for an interception he had a great game he did and it but it looked like that was 
So this is the game plan. We're going to jump the underneath underneath stuff. We're going to yeah. limit yards after the catch because you know Breeze is like Brady. He'll take the short stuff all day and then try to stretch the field when he needs to. But you know he he underthrew that pass. He underthrew a couple deep balls that he should have had. Taysom Hill threw the threw the best game ball of the game, and he underthrew Taysom Hill. Yeah, Taysom Hill had like five steps right for a touchdown, and Breeze underthrew it with a clean pocket. And, and not like only that, up and let but it go. he didn't even need to like even if distance was the problem, right? Just put it left. Oh yeah, the, like the one had, you could just throw it away. Right, from the he had side. lateral space to put that, even if right. he couldn't make it any further vertically. Right. So I thought the, I thought the game plan right off the bat looked good for the Eagles, but then I thought Breeze and the Saints did a nice job adju- adjusting, and there was so many key third and longs where they hit the dig route, so they started hitting the intermediate stuff behind right. defenders. So they did a good job. Again, balance on offense for the Saints. Okay, the short stuff might not be there all the time. The deep stuff's inconsistent with Breeze. We'll hit the intermediate stuff. And that was a big key to their adjustment. Yeah, it seemed like the Eagles had just elected not to cover dig routes in this game. Yeah, which five feels, for six. Feels Sorry. like a problem. Five for six for Breeze. Five for six for 93 yards on 10 to 19 yard passes in between the numbers. And if you want to talk about a receiver who legitimately has a case to be the best receiver in the NFL, Michael Thomas would be a guy that has a pretty strong argument. Oh, absolutely. 16 targets in this game, 12 catches for 171 yards and a touchdown. Uh, beats one, two, three, four, five, six different uh, six different defenders, four catches. And I don't know how many of them came on those dig routes. I haven't looked that up, but it felt like a lot. Yeah, he, he worked the middle of the field. He had the end zone fade from the slot. Um, I thought the, the Saints also had another great play. If you guys have been paying attention to the NFL, it was the, uh, the, the play the Patriots used on the two-point conversion against um, Atlanta to tie at 28, where they have trips, three wide receivers to one side. They motion the outside guy in, give it to him, and they, and they just run a quick screen right behind the two other receivers. Patriots use it a ton. And then this year in the NFL, if you've been paying attention, it felt like every team was running this. Every two-point attempt, every goal line play, everybody's running the same exact play. Quick screen, motion the guy in, run the quick screen. The Saints ran it. And I don't know if this was they ran the play and had an adjustment off of it or if they just had a fake and then ran the corner route off of it. But I thought it was a great play. The whole NFL, when you talk about, when we joke about the NFL setting up uh, the run, establishing the run as a whole this felt like the whole nfl was setting up this fake screen for the saints because the whole nfl is running it they faked it and then they got the open receiver that was drew Brees' first touchdown um so i thought that was great play design and that's the red zone you have to scheme some plays open and you have to have you know a drew Brees to michael thomas connection for a fade i'm still waiting for the saints to break out something crazy to drew Brees when he splits out wide as a wide receiver and Taysom hills super bowl that's what i'm that's what i'm saying right they haven't broken it out yet all season long, Drew Brees has just been standing there doing nothing, looking bored. Sooner or later, he's going to do that and then start running downfield for a touchdown. Do you think ever in NFL history, and we can't even look this up, on back-to-back plays, Taysom Hill was the targeted receiver <laughs> on a 40-plus yard pass, right, and then. on the next play through a 40-plus yard pass, it was negated, but it was the best throw of the game, and he put it on And as he's doing it, I was like... I turned to my wife. I was like, oh, every time he throws deep, it's just a disaster. They should never do this. Oh, it's like, oh, wow. That's well, also, play. has any player in NFL history ever been hosed more on back-to-back plays? He got know, robbed right? of catching a 40-yard touchdown. Then he got robbed of throwing one the next play because of a holding point. call. Oh, we, It's not her. No? Okay. Just um, push notification. Just a notification. Devin White has declared for the NFL draft. Yeah, there you go. For LSU. Um, as expected. Yes. He might show up in my mock draft tomorrow. Check it out tomorrow. Slick teaser. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. When you think about that, Taysom Hill, 
40-yard touchdown as a receiver. Right. Hosed. 40-yard touchdown as a, as a passer. Passer. Hosed. Man. Taysom Hill, MVP of the game. Right. Drew Brees just holding Drew him back. Drew Brees just holding Taysom down. Yeah. Anyway. So the end result was as expected. Yeah. But this was another one that didn't go the way I expected it to go. I thought, you know, maybe some more points. The Saints only scoring 20 in the Dome. Like, I just give a ton of credit to this Eagles defense and the way they've uh, started to play down the stretch. You have to wonder with the Saints, when they started to struggle at times offensively down the stretch, the fact that it's, you got Ted Ginn out there and you've got Keith Kirkwood out there and you just, when Breeze was on fire through about week 12, he was, he was throwing these guys open. He was great. But at some point, are their lack of non-Michael Thomas playmakers and Alvin Kamara playmakers, <laughs> is that going to catch up to them? Um, I don't think so. I think if, if nothing else, we're going to be facing a team that doesn't have the Eagles defensive front, and that's going to help. That's like, true. What we were saying heading into this game is that it was an interesting matchup because the Eagles still have the best defensive front in the game, but the Saints are um, equipped to get the ball out of Drew Brees' hands fast and essentially negate that the way they did the first time around. Now, it turns out that's a lot easier to do when you're facing, you know, secondary that's been thrown together in the on the back of a napkin during the week, and none of those guys have a, any business being out there playing together. This secondary by the Eagles is actually capable of holding up for a little bit, so the right. Saints couldn't just get the ball out of their hands immediately. Um, you know, Drew Brees' average time to throw in this game was almost 2.6 seconds. That's like probably three-tenths faster than I would have thought it would be going into this game if they wanted to negate that, that Eagles defensive front. Slower, you mean, right? Yeah, sorry, slower. Yeah. Um, so they didn't have the quick passing game that was supposed to be there, and that meant that the Eagles' front could actually get after them and slow everything down and really make this a tighter game. So, but they were so banged up. Right, and, and it, it wasn't enough only- to get it done overall. But the point is, that's why the game was a little bit closer and the Saints didn't just run away with offense. Next week, you're going to be playing the Rams. Can the Rams do that to you? You know, if you fi- figure out a way of getting Aaron Donald blocked, they don't have that much else to be able to get after you, and at which point you should see the Saints start to put up points again. They right? did a great job on Donald the first time around. Right. Play-action game, slowing him down and all that stuff. So that'll be something... To keep an eye on um, the, you know, the end of the season review for the Eagles. We won't get into all of the detail, but you know, everybody's saying, "Well, they got this decision to make now: Nick Foles or Carson Wentz." I mean, I don't think it's a decision. Nick Foles, nice little run by him. Give him a ton of credit. Again, one of the weirdest NFL careers you'll ever see. One of the best postseason runs you'll ever see last year, and then you know, last week he was good, not great against the Bears, but. It's going to be Carson Wentz's team going forward. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed that we didn't see him win another Super Bowl just to just for the problems it would give the Eagles having to make that decision. And like, then the, then the Hall of Fame voting, right? Obviously. So Nick Foles has to go yeah. in, but Eli now, Manning has to go in, and yeah. poor Philip Rivers. No, now you you know they're going to get rid of Nick Foles. It's going to cost him twenty million to keep him, and that's not happening. So he'll go somewhere. Who's going to pay Nick Foles? The Jags. The Jags are going to hand Nick Foles a boatload of money to suck. Really? Yeah. Interesting. The ironic thing is, right, Nick. So as as impressive as these runs have been, if you gave Nick Foles sixteen games starting next season, what do you think his PFF grade would be? Seventy three. Right. Which would be what? Where does that rank you? Off the top of my head, just seventy three. It's probably twenty second. Okay. Off the top of your head, seventy three overall PFF grade, which would rank you twenty second. And if I can get the site to load, 
then I can stop. Oh, I thought you were answering. I thought you were giving me the answer rather than. No, I was. If the if I get the site to load, then I could uh, stop talking grade. and be able to extend. Grade. Seventy-three grade, which would rank you. What did you say? I said twenty-second. Damn you! That would rank you twenty for actually it would rank you twenty second because Derek Carr finished the season twenty first with seventy three point four. So seventy three would actually put him where Joe Flacco is right now, which is twenty second. You should not he be able Joe to Flacco. do that. Sam gets very angry when I guess random stuff almost perfectly. Right. You and should I, not happens very often. You shouldn't be able to just guess that. I just That's I have wrong. a feel. I have a feel for our quarterback rating. You, you, no, I just have a feel. You, just have for, a, uh, you have some sort of. Weird... You guys can have a feel too if you have PFF Elite Premium Stats 2.0. Study it like Steve does. You'll know all this stuff. No, you don't get that because you study. You get that because you have some sort of weird connection tapped into the matrix somehow. I do. Right. So credit the Saints. They pull off the win, twenty to fourteen against the Eagles. I think ultimately, when you look at it, the Eagles were just. Just overmatched in some of the wrong places in the secondary and all that stuff. They, I, I love the way they came together down the stretch, but it was it was just really tough. And Nick Foles still, you know, yeah, I he mean, overachieved a lot. The secondary did have its problems, but ultimately they lost because they didn't score after getting 14. Yeah. Oh, that was a big factor. Right? I really I mean, thought they were going to go down and score, though. I, I Right. The secondary did get beaten on some plays, but they still did hold the Saints to 20 points overall. Right. And the Eagles had the ball late in the game, driving to win. They did. Before Alshon Jeffrey, you know, dropped Don't it. blame Nick Foles for the last interception, though. I of didn't. course, it's not his fault. I I'm not saying you are. I'm Alshon just telling Jeffrey. everyone. Do not blame Nick Foles for that. You can blame him for the other one. So all four teams move on. They all had buys. They all played at home. I think they're the four best teams in the NFL, and next weekend should be some pretty good football games right the, the funny thing is i've seen people like taking victory laps over predicting this four. you know like back in october like these were the best four teams like if you were taking a stab at it in october this is probably what you would end everybody up everybody in october is like oh rams Chiefs, super bowl oh no it's going to be Chiefs saints yeah, right. of course everybody's been looking at these teams yeah you can't i mean you, you can't really take too much of a victory lap on this i was, had the patriots coming. in the afc championship it's the eighth straight year they've been here right we're really going out on a limb there. Big limb. All right, let's do one postmortem. It's the Dallas Cowboys. One? Okay, just one. It's a long podcast here today, Sam. What time did we start? Like 10.35? Oh, yeah. We're over an hour. Okay. But the people love content. It's the playoffs. People love content. I don't care. But we're going to do the Cowboys. Just the Cowboys. All right. Because we have other stuff to get to. Dallas Cowboys, what went wrong this season? Why did they lose? Can I... Explain because the, the, like the talk right now is what do the what do the Cowboys do? Uh-huh. Such a disappointment. Yeah, is it really though? Is it really that disappointing of a season that they didn't make the NFC Championship? <laughs> Was anybody expecting them to go to the NFC Championship? Well, only once they won the wild card game. Oh, everybody that wins a wild card game is hot and on yeah. a roll, and they should win. Yes, once you win a wild card game, you've now got the monkey off your back. You won the first playoff game since like 1972 or whatever it was. Um, and now, now they get to roll to the Super Bowl again. So I, I like to look at coaches in one of two ways. Did you overachieve or did you underachieve? Right. Yeah. And I know people want fresh blood in there and they, they wanted to get rid of Jason Garrett after like week eight or whatever. And then all of a sudden they turned it around. And I don't really have an opinion on what they do with Jason Garrett. I don't even want to call for his head or say he deserves the job. But I think if you look at this season, the Cowboys overachieved. They overachieved. They won the division. Nobody expected them to win. They won a wild card game. They never should have beaten the Rams on the road in the divisional round. They overachieved and went, this was as expected. Once they got to the divisional round, they're supposed to lose. Like, that's it. It's 
they overachieved and then hit expectation in the divisional round, which is lose. <laughs> they need they need better talent in a in a couple spots on offense. They need more playmakers. We saw Michael Gallup emerged uh, opposite Amari Cooper. That was great. That made the passing offense much better down the stretch. You need more consistent play from Dak Prescott. I mean, they're just they are what they are. Yeah, you ultimately, know? their cause of death was not being good enough. Right, that's it. And it kind of actually what it rare, where it really manifested itself is that they meant that they had to go on the road at some point in the playoffs. Cause of death. Travel. Travel. Yes. Cause of death. Number one travel. cause of death. Seven and one at home, three and five on the road in the regular season. Then obviously you win another game at home. So three and six. One and one um, in terms of road home splits in, in the postseason. So yep. had this team had home field advantage throughout the playoffs, maybe they would have been a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But they didn't because they weren't good enough when they had to travel the first time around. So they had to go somewhere. <laughs> albeit a place where, you know, if you're going to travel somewhere, that was a pretty strong away presence for the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, know, it was, there was, yeah. There was a ton of Dallas fans in Los Angeles. They play out there in training camp every year because that's right. where they... But they still, it camp. wasn't being at home where this team is completely different within that dome yep. in Jerry World. Um, I will say this. I mean, I wrote before the season how, how much I loved the way they were building the defensive side of the ball. It's all homegrown talent from Demarcus Lawrence to Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Esch, Byron Jones, Chitabay Awuzie, Xavier Woods. I think all of those guys, Anthony Brown, Jordan Lewis, they have a bright future on the defense. They have to figure out what to do with Demarcus Lawrence, of course. Um, I think they have a lot of work to do on the defensive front. Taco Charlton hasn't really lived up to his first round hype. Not at all. Malik Collins has struggled. The defensive tackles as a whole have not been very good. So they've got a lot of work to do, I think, on the defensive front. And then I think you just continue to throw playmakers right. on the offensive so, side. Primary cause of death, travel. Travel. Secondary cause of death. I think the defensive. Well, the defensive front. If we're talking about what, why they die yeah. Saturday night, the, the front seven was horrendous. Yeah. Which, front seven. Yeah, part of it was to get the game plan. Scheme designed. too. Yeah, right. scheme. Huh. So, okay. Well, so, Secondary so cause of death, defensive front talent. There you go. Okay. Here's the, here's the difference, right? The Chargers a couple weeks ago, their scheme won because their defensive line won, right. as we said. Dallas's scheme lost because their players lost. They put, they put pressure on their defensive line to win their blocks, and they did not. Yeah. So a lot of pressure on the D-line, but they were unable to come through. Right. This idea of putting your players in the best position to succeed, sometimes the scheme, the game plan is going to dictate that you put certain players in a disadvantageous position or in a position that is not their best spot to succeed. And those guys need to stand up and be counted because the game plan needs them to do that that right. week. Now, if those guys suck that week, that's a problem. Well, it's kind of like if, you, if you're able to defend the run with fewer players, you're, just, you're taking a chance. But if you can do it, boy, does that have great benefits. That's kind of like uh, there was a reach block in what one of the Rams runs that Gurley ran through a hole a mile wide yeah if you can reach block a player you essentially like you you steal an extra gap away from the defense if you can make this really really difficult block you're going to win the play most of the time you're going to lose the block though that's how i felt about dallas and their game plan um also the offensive line they battled injuries and stuff like that and they went from and travis frederick missed the entire season so you just don't have that same dominant offensive line in dallas you had two elite players instead of three with zach martin and tyron smith and everyone around them you had Connor Williams struggling, Xavier Suofilo struggling. You just had a lot of guys. Joe Looney at center, just not even close to what Travis Frederick brought. So the offensive line was uh, completely different this year as well. Yeah. Um, is Dak Prescott good enough to win a Super Bowl for the Cowboys? I think he is. 
I, I think. Well, actually, so hang on. Here's the first. Let me give you a question before that one. Do is Dak Prescott closer to 2018 Dak or 2016 rookie Dak? I mean, 2017, 2016. Is is over? Oh, okay. Is so. Dak Prescott overall, generally, in optimum circumstances, closer to 2016 or 2018? I think it's more 2018, which is mid-tier, right? Average quarterback. He looked like he was this. So then the question is, can that guy win a Super Bowl? Yes, mid-tier quarterbacks can win the Super Bowl in the NFL this year. Um, I think they can, Still. but it's but it just takes so much around them. Um, I think that the thing with Dak is. I think they can unleash him down the field a little bit more. He only targeted, he only threw one pass over twenty yards the other uh, the other day. It was when he rolled out and dropped the ball in that Gallup made right that, yeah. that nice catch. He can throw down the field, all right. I think they have to let him do it a little bit more. He's one of those volatile type of quarterbacks, the Jamesy types, who's going to have some misses where you're just like, how do you miss that? You're an NFL quarterback. Yeah. And then comes back and makes enough good throws. Those types of guys can win games for you. You just need you just you just rolling the dice. You yeah. just don't know what you're going to get. But if you get the good, plus what he but he adds in the run game. That's the other thing. If you scheme up enough runs for him, kind of like Cam, scheme up enough runs for him, let him scramble a little bit and just steal extra first downs. There's enough in Dak there. I don't trust him as a passer. I don't think he's a great passer. No, but there, I think there's enough in there. Um, if everything else around him is is built well. Okay, so we're not going to put him down as tertiary cause of death, but I will say that he was the worst quarterback in the divisional weekend, and therefore I'm, I'm shocked. His grade ended up pretty good, and he had the worst pass of divisional weekend when he just dro- threw it right to the dropping zone defender. Yeah, that was dropped for a dropped interception. So that's it, Dallas. You are who Dead. we thought you were. You overachieved. So I don't know what you guys want to do going forward, Cowboys, but. I thought you guys had a good season. Be happy with the season, something to build off of. I mean, they won a playoff game. Yeah. First time they've done that in a while. Yeah, so how about that? That's a good year. After everybody wrote you off, how about it? All right, that'll do it for the PFF NFL podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, I might be back later <laughs> in the week, or Mike Renner will be back. Mike Renner is just waiting in the bullpen for when I have uh, my child. Right. And he'll be taking over. We'll do some conference championship previews. Uh, my plan, I have a mock draft coming out this week. I was going to do a little mock draft and draft discussion with Mike for half the podcast on Thursday. We'll see what happens. We're day-to-day. Any updates? Day-to-day. Nope, just Devin just White declaring for the draft. No baby. Just taking it one day at a time. That's all we can do when you're waiting on a baby mm. who's three weeks early. Yeah. Come yeah. on, Kelly. Bye week. Wait till the bye week, honey. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, be sure to go get your Premium Stats 2.0, all a part of your PFF Elite package. Great time of year for that. Get all the playoff grades and, of course, free agency. We have a ton of free agent and draft content coming up right around the corner, Sam. So Yeah, quarterback annual as well coming out. Yes. And special something planned for February that we can't yet, can't yet uh, put out there. We do. We can at least tease it. We hope it all something works Something special coming God, for February. God willing. We'll do that. All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We'll chat again on Thursday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it 
after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL.